Great to be with you today. Great to have you here and many uh, visitors and guests with us today. I just want to add my welcome to each of you and uh, really glad that you could be here with us and that I can be here with you. That's what, a, what a great privilege. I'm going to let our kids be dismissed for Sunday school. They are heading out. And as they go, I'm just recognizing, we just need to do this. Stephanie Gutierrez, we just stand up for a second. Stephanie is moving to San Diego. We don't... Yeah. I was afraid I'd get that reaction. How about a little bit of... All right, Stephanie, go get them. <clears throat> You're going to do great. And uh, we love this girl. When I first... Okay, you can sit down now. I know you're getting uncomfortable. But when, she, when, I, when we first came here, it's been 15 years, and, and we're going to talk about that in a moment, but this is a, kind of the, just starting our 15th year here. My math is right. Uh, my wife just left. She would correct me. But uh, just starting that, and uh, around the time we got here, Stephanie was this, just this you know, gangly 14-year-old high school freshman and just had a great time. I've kind of grown up as a pastor as Stephanie has grown up as a person, and it's just been a joy to walk this journey and continue to. You're only three or four hours away, so come back and see us as often as possible. But blessings on you as you go. Yeah. Um, it has. My first Sunday, I, this was 1997, again, so you do the math. I think I, we finished 14 years. But first Sunday, we got a call in the middle of the week. Uh, in leading up to that first Sunday, and I think we averaged around 50 or 60 people about that time when I got here, and um, the the phone call was from the pastor of a Filipino church in Los Angeles, and he spoke with a rather thick accent, and he simply said, hello pastor, I won't try to duplicate the accent, but he said, we're going to be on family camp at El Capitan this weekend, and we want to come to your church, we have 15 people. And I couldn't tell if he said 15 or 50, which made a little bit awkward planning for the continental breakfast uh, for that opening Sunday. But I'll never forget as we began, and I got here and I was in my office, you know, prepping for that first sermon of my pastoral career. And all of a sudden I looked out in the parking lot and there were just car after car and Filipino person after Filipino person getting out of them. And pouring into our sanctuary, and I think there were closer to 60 here that day, and uh, so double, we had 140 people here that, that first Sunday, and uh, just an amazing time, and, and the other thing I'll remember about it forever is that at the end of my message, uh, the, the folks that were gathered, all this great diverse crowd that was here, at the end of my message, they gave me a standing ovation. <laughs> so I'm looking for something at the end of today. <laughs> No, uh, no. But the reality was, at the end of the day, I wasn't, I wasn't quite sure if they were giving me the standing ovation because, you know, the Lord had spoken to their hearts in a meaningful way, or if they were just glad I made it, you know. And I'm pretty sure they were just, I mean, it's like, whew, we can breathe now. He made it. He made it through this first Sunday. Well, when we come together on it, just... From year to year, we don't always do this, but sometimes at this time of the year, I just like to kind of take a breath as a, as a church body and think a little bit about where we've been and where we are and where we're going. So if you're, again, visiting today, this is just going to give you a little snapshot into who we are as a body of believers. And if you're new today or if you're, you're just 
kind of checking us out or kind of worshiping with us for, for the first or second time, then, then hopefully this can, again, kind of give you a sense of, of where we're headed or who, we want, who we're wanting to be in our community and in the, within the kingdom of God. If you're a longtime member or attender and you're, you're kind of a, you know, you're, you're in, you know, you're with us, then, then as we talk today, I, I hope that you'll get a sense that, oh yeah, that's who we're supposed to be. That's what we're called to be as a local church. That's the mission that we have accept, received and accepted and are taking on as a local church within the body of believers across the world. So I want us just to talk about our, our mission statement a little bit. today. And we, read it with me, who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into His likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So it's not us, this is a great reminder, it's not us who are doing the transforming. It's not just willpower, it's not just saying I'm going to be better, you know, I'm going to do it right this time, but it's allowing the Spirit of the Lord to change us from the inside out. So living life, and a couple of ways that we talked about doing this, and we talked about these really as means of grace, and this is kind of that, that phrase that I shared a few weeks ago, get under the spout where the glory pours out, right, remember that? kind of putting ourselves in the flow of the grace of God. And a couple of ways that Christian people have done this for centuries are these uh, couple of, tradi- of traditions. One, practicing the spiritual disciplines. Again, we don't, we don't read our Bible and pray and fast and do these kinds of things so we can somehow please God or somehow gain access to His favor. No, that's through His grace. But by practicing spiritual disciplines like these, we put ourselves in range, really. We make ourselves accessible and vulnerable to the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And then the second is the participating in small groups, getting ourselves in small communities where people can know us and where we can know people and we can feed into each other's lives. And so these are two of the ways, there's many more, but two of the ways that we've centered in on in terms of how we can greater allow the Spirit to, to transform our lives as we live them. Then the third part is kind of the the, the expression or the result of the first two, and it's just simply this idea of leading others into a relationship with Jesus. We're, we're very, we don't shy away from that by any means. We're, we're very proud and, and open about the fact that as, as followers of Jesus, we desire to love God, love people, live lives, and in the process to help lead others into a, a life of meaning and purpose in relationship with Jesus Christ. It's, it's, it's not something that we want to necessarily force on people or shove down their throats by any means, but to keep making it available, to keep offering it to the people that we know and who we love. Um, this great, we, we're not only, um, you know, this isn't a, like a request uh, by Jesus, as a matter of fact. He didn't just kind of say, if you feel like it, go and make disciples. He, he commissioned us. And, and we talk about this next verse as being the Great Commission, and it's just what we hold on to from Matthew uh, chapter 28. Read this one with me as well. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And we do this through hopefully a lot of different uh, ways and expressions, a lot of different ways that we can help lead folks into relationship with Jesus. Again, we're not talking about just converting them. <laughs> you know, we're not just talking about making converts. Jesus commissioned us to make disciples. And so it's all about 
not getting, and again, it's not just getting people to abide by a certain list of rules or regulations or to look a certain way, but to live in a relationship with Jesus. This is where real life, Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it abundantly. And that's our, our hope. So we want to equip each other. We want to be equipped as the body of Christ, as believers, to know how to share our faith in natural and, and, and helpful and genuine ways, in ways that'll, that'll be, um, again, vibrant and, and contagious in the world in which we live. So we want to equip each other. And then, and then we just want to be people who kind of, by the way we live and the way we interact as a community, we just expose Jesus to the world. We just, that, that when people think of us and when they see us, or when we think of ourselves, we think of ourselves as being people who are just lifting out Jesus, that, that Jesus is being seen, that when we stand up here and sing or preach or when we go to the park even, you know, for a picnic today, that, that anyone who might be around us at some level would get a sense that these are Jesus people. And uh, they might not even know the words to put to that, but a sense that there's something different uh, going on in here. And there might be a spark. I had a couple of opportunities. It's just last week, interestingly, I, just different conversation that I've been in. I, I just love the little just networks of relationships and life that really that my kids get me into. I mean, this is just really a lot of fun. But a couple of guys just this week, and again, I've told you this before, but you know, when people ask me the question, what do you do? That's either a great op- door opener or a great door slammer, you know? And so it's like, well, I'm a pastor. <laughs> and this week actually got some good, re- good reaction and response from folks. And uh, it was really, really nice. And able to just talk about, you know, kind of who I am and who our church is a little bit. Plant some seeds and kind of recognizing later on, you know, should I have invited them? Should I have done this? Should I have done that? You know what? Just, we just believe that the Spirit will lead us as we love folks, as we're just being, uh, reflecting the character of Christ. And, and this is kind of how we can keep moving forward. So these three things. I, I want to talk to us today just about a couple of specific opportunities within these three. So you, so you notice them. Loving both God and people. Living lives transformed by grace. Leading others into relationship with Jesus. Again, if you're if you're new here, this just gives you a sense who we want to be. If you've been around here for a while and this is new to you, then read the front cover of your bulletin, for heaven's sake. But, um, but really, just be reminded. This is what we're about. And, and, and let it be a grid for you, because it is for me. This is a grid that I, as, as a pastor, when people come to me with ideas and you know, thoughts about doing this or that, or hey, we can be this, or we can do that, or we can go there... I just have a simple grid. Is this going to, in some way, fit into this, this mission of loving both God and people, living transformed lives, leading others into relationship? Is it going to fit into that? Then if so, let's give some attention to it. Let's see how it might fit. But if it doesn't, we don't have time to, to waste on it as a church. It might be a very good uh, event or activity or process to do at some other level in society or community, but as the Church of Jesus Christ, especially in our local community, that's it's not, we, don't have, we don't have time for it. So, so let it be a grid. Let it be a grid for us to help examine and understand who we're becoming as a church. A couple things that, that are coming up that I want to talk to us about and that are upon us, really, that I believe actually absolutely fit within the grid. And, uh, and things, that opportunities that, that we have as a body of Christ to, and as a, local believers to kind of keep moving forward in living out this mission. One of them falls under the the heading of loving both God and people, and even more directed, perhaps, towards loving people. 
And, and so I, I'm just kind of thinking about it in the terms of Christian service and, and how we want to equip and encourage each other really to be involved in Christian service. Um, th- some folks among us even serve, we, we serve for a variety of reasons, right? We serve kind of because maybe sometimes we feel guilty. We serve because there's a great need in front of us. Uh, some of us serve because we have community service hours to fulfill. Uh, there's lots of different reasons why we might be involved in service. But as followers of Jesus, our motivation for service is very, very simple. We are simply following our leader. We are simply following our leader. Jesus was a servant. Came to serve. He even said so. And so our service, as we think about being involved in community and giving of our lives and loving people, it's, it's distinctly Christian service. Paul wrote in Philippians 2, our attitude is to be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. Jesus himself, after he had washed the disciples' dirty feet, as recorded in John chapter 13, after he bent low and washed their feet, he looked up at them and he said, Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. And then again in Matthew 20, simply these words, I didn't come to be served, but to serve. And ultimately we know that Jesus gave the greatest expression of His service when He gave His life on the cross. A simple definition for us. Christian service is simply this. Put that next one up there. Read this with me. Meeting someone else's needs with the resources God has entrusted to you. Let's read it again from the top. Christian service. Meeting someone else's needs with the resources God has entrusted to you. There is no agenda in service, particularly Christian service, other than meeting the needs of people before us. This might just be really odd to some of you, but we do not serve others in the community in order to get them to come to our church. We do not serve others because we want notoriety. We don't serve others because we want a pat on the back or someone to tell us what great servants we are. We serve simply because Jesus has set us that example and called us to live in obedience to Him. And we trust any results, whatever they might be, to this Lord who has called us. We can always know that something will happen when we serve. Because you cannot serve for too long, and I know all of you have experienced it at some level, you cannot serve for too long in any context without your own life beginning to be transformed and changed as you give yourself in service to others. Service can get us out of comfort zones, it can stretch our faith, and put us in some very challenging positions where we have to learn to trust in God at new levels. It can expand new relationships, networks of, of partnerships. It can open up all sorts of doors. James 1.22, these words familiar to many of us, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Later in the book, he just says, faith by itself, it's not accompanied by action, is dead. We might not all be scholars and teachers and, and, and singers, 
But we can all, I believe, meet someone else's needs with the resources that God has entrusted to each of us. There are lots of things. I want to just make a distinction for us really quick. There's lots of things that we could do, right, in our community. I mean, you, you talk about Christian service. You think about our community and all the things that we could be a part of and could do. And, and I just invite you to, to dream and expand and let the Spirit talk to you about what could you do. We can kind of narrow that maybe a little bit and say, well, what should we do, right? And, and we begin to think about what it means to, again, invest in the community and the, and the places where God is already at work and where we can go and join uh, in those places. Maybe we can kind of narrow that down. And we've talked about several different opportunities. And I would just commend a lot of the, the different places we've talked about and different contexts for you to continue to serve in or begin to think about serving. I mean, I think about the rescue mission, you know, Rolf and just all the, our good friends at the rescue mission and the different ways that we can contribute there. Life Network, some of the the ministry that's going on there, Young Life, some of these, these different uh, opportunities that are all around us and before us. And there are many more. One of the others that we've talked about at our church is ministering at El Camino Elementary School. And um, I, I have invited my friend Kim Bruzes. Kim, come on up here at this point. This is, this is where you get to come join me. I've invited Kim to, to come talk with us a little bit. Because Kim knows a little bit about El Camino um, because she is the principal. <laughs> and um, so she knows a whole lot even more about it by far than I do. It's not wireless. It's not wireless. <laughs> okay. But I and my wife, if you've been around it very long, you know that we talk about El Camino quite a bit. And I thought that before I launched into another invitation for you to consider being a part of service at El Camino, that I would get somebody to come and share that actually has some credibility. <laughs> because I always kind of feel like maybe you think I'm being a little bit self-serving because my kids go to El Camino and uh, why don't y'all come help out at the school where my kids go? But I just wanted to invite Kim to come and I really... Even now, I feel strange calling you Kim because she's Mrs. Bruzace. But I, invited Kim, I wanted to invite Kim to come and just share a little bit about the uniqueness of this school. Uh, and, and for you not only to hear about some of the details, but just some of her heart in terms of, of what is going on at this place and how we perhaps as a local church can partner and invest in some of these uh, areas. Now, I just really, I, I talked to my sister. She's in the child care this morning. But, you know, they're... They're uh, really involved at the school where their kids go, La Patera. And parents who, who are here who are really involved in pouring in, investing in the school where your kids go, then go there. I mean, don't, I'm not trying, we're not trying to kind of, you know, pull a coup here and, and get everyone to come. But, but for those of us who maybe aren't connected or haven't thought about this at some level, then may this be kind of an introduction for us a little bit. So, Kim, tell us, first of all, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask her questions as opposed to just having her give you a speech, but tell us, first of all, a little bit about yourself, how long you've been a principal, and uh, some of just kind of the basic facts and information about El Camino Elementary. So welcome. I appreciate being invited, and I've known James now. His daughter is now in fifth grade. Wow. And so when I first met them, I've just got to say this, because to come, it's one thing to speak in front of my school community, 
where I, I see lots of familiar faces and I saw some, some of my El Camino families exiting to do different um, jobs. <laughs> so I'm looking to some people that I do know and I'll be refreshing going, looking eye contact because I'm a little bit nervous speaking. Um, but I was very, very happy to come and speak about El Camino and just knowing how much time uh, James and Kyla have committed to our school just because they see the power of that, that parent piece at the school. And so, yes, Kyla and James have both stepped into different school site council members, PTA, and as much as I want to say we have lots of the parents willing to do that at our site, it, it's, it's not always possible. So El Camino is one of two Title I schools, which, we mean, which means we receive special funding from the federal government because of our student population. So Isla Vista being the other school, um, we both receive, every school receives state funding, um, but we also get a, a special amount of federal funding because of the number of impoverished families we have at our site. So our numbers are just starting to come in as our, our school is starting to settle in with our students there. So last year we had 77% of our families who were on free or reduced lunch program, which means that they get subsidized lunch and we have a breakfast program. So for a large number of our students, we're feeding them two out of their hopefully three meals a day. And so with that, that special funding says something, and not to make stereotypical judgments on a lot of our families, but knowing a lot of the families that do come, hopefully to our school-wide school events, a large number of our families are speaking a language other than English, primarily Spanish, but we do have other um, languages coming in. We do have a lot of families that do not have much higher than a high school education. And so right there, as you're looking around the room and just your assumptions of parenting styles and what you need to do to be uh, provide a good, solid start to a child's education, having books in the, the house, these are some of the challenges that some of our teachers deal with when you say, go home and read 20 minutes. And if they don't have access to cars or transportation to get to the public library, that can be a challenge. So there's lots of different levels that, that we're, again, not making excuses for. But where in some schools we have a lot of parent participation because we have a parent that can stay home and raise younger children or have the flexibility of not having to work. A lot of our parents, if there's two parents in the house, both are working just to put food on the table. So there's a lot of assumptions with that. And so we've been very gracious to have the Kinslers as well as a handful of other families who really step up and see the need and really contribute a lot of their own time and dollars in some cases to really help support the families who don't have the, that, that opportunity to do that. Awesome. No, that's great. Yeah, still sneak in on this next question. How long you've been the principal there? Just tell us. I'm going on my seventh year, but 12 years at the school. So we reopened El Camino. Those of you that didn't know, it was opened in 1975, and then it was closed in the early 80s, and then reopened when the district thought the school enrollment was going to continue to grow. And so I was part of the original staff um, who took a brand new school, opened it up to the community, and because we were drawing at that time from Hollister, Kellogg, Foothill Schools, invited parents to come together to really tell us what we wanted that school to be like. We want camps, we want this. And from that really took an exciting staff to really build a school that the, the local community wanted. And so seven years, um, 12 years at El Camino, I spent three years at Kellogg and three years up in Orcutt before that. And, and some of you may recognize or remember or actually have been to El Camino because while it was closed, it was the host of Santa Barbara Christian yes. School. And so um, 
you might be connected with that. It's hidden a little bit over off of behind next to Vaughn's off of Hollister and San Marcos and San Simeon Road, kind of back in there. And uh, just a, a great a hidden little, treasure. A hidden treasure. There are some great things happening at this school, obviously. Just share maybe one or two highlights, Kim, just some of the things that are going on. Well, we like to say that we're the smallest school in the district, and for the size of our staff, we give quite a bang for our families for the amount of time and efforts that the, the staff members put forward to our families. Um, we have family education nights, which a lot of the other schools don't have the staff members who are willing to give up multiple nights. So we have a family math night, science night, uh, reading under the stars, which is a focus on literacy. And we draw a lot of our families into those nights, and we get to give a little bit of parent education along as having the children in their learning beside them. We have some great events. Um, every school has their, their picnic or their auction, and auctions don't go real well at our school just because... It just isn't something that um, a lot of families feel that they can participate in. But we have a humongous potluck in December called the Kermesse, which originated from France, brought it to Mexico, and it's a way for some of the smaller um, smaller towns in Mexico to to bring money or revenue into their schools. So everybody brings something and then it's sold. And so a lot of our families feel that they can contribute to something like that and we purposely try to keep prices down so we get extended families able to come to that. So our community is really good about looking for opportunities that all of our families can participate and not just the ones that can afford to do that. Um, lots of after school, we have an after school program that provides um, after school tutoring and learning opportunities for 82 students and out of a population of 300 students plus 24 state preschoolers, we've got um, a lot of things happening. Good. And just talk a little bit about the character counts, responsive classroom, some of these things that are kind of being introduced. Um, early on when El Camino started, we heard about this thing called Responsive Classroom, and it started a grassroots effort with one teacher saying, you know, I'm doing this morning meeting thing, and this is, this is I read this book, and, and so several teachers, myself included, went to see what this was all about. And what happened is um, it's the way that, that teachers begin the morning with this idea of a morning meeting, and you're greeting each student at the beginning of the year. They get to learn each student's name as they greet one another. They're taught to speak with students with eye contact, so student to student, shaking hands, how you do that. And it gives a good, solid start to the morning where if you have a student who's having a rough morning, that teacher sees it right off in those first five minutes rather than in the middle of the math lesson when they're not focusing because of something that happened before they left the house. So that whole idea and the fact that if, if there is discipline, that it's realistic. So if a student is littering, then the, the, the um, consequence. the consequence would be something related to that. So they're picking up trash at, at recess time. It's something that's related and, and logical consequences so students really understand why they're getting disciplined for that. So over the last couple of years, with everything happening with education and the focus on standards, we've really tried to hold on to that and make sure that that response, responsive classroom philosophy where we're really addressing the socio-emotional part of the student and not just the academic need, that both of those are going hand in hand. And I think this year, we had the opportunity to send a team of five teachers, a PTA parent, and myself. I got to go back for a second round to this great institute and what it did is it brought back a team of teachers who really saw the importance of the responsive classroom going hand in hand with um, this character counts program, which really looks at these six character traits 
Is anybody familiar with character counts? If you've been at some of the schools, you've heard about trustworthy, respect. Now I'm going to be on the spot. Citizenship, as I'm trying to envision them as they popped up across our, our playground. Really seeing the importance that some of those, those skills, those traits aren't getting taught at home anymore. And the importance for teachers to really make that part of their morning meeting and make sure what does it mean to be respectful? What kind of behaviors are associated with that? And I think we've, we've been so hard pushing the standards, standards, standards. And at home, if we have parents that aren't really teaching that respect and that trustworthiness and the citizenship, that, that that's not happening automatically. And so as a staff, we brought our team back. I have a, a staff of... Essentially, it's 14 classrooms, but I, got, I have four job shares, which means I have young moms who have young children at home, so they get to split a job and job share. So I have about 21 teachers, and with that out of, I sent five teachers, I've got 11 that want to go back in January to get the same type of training that um, really is about this idea of turning around to school looking at response classroom, not making excuses for our families who maybe don't have the resources as other families and really making sure that we're providing the best education that we can. And I think I really wanted you to share that because one of the things that they talked about at that institute was, you know, not making excuses and looking really for partnerships in the community, families, churches, whatever it might be to just get to the end goal of, of developing our kids, educate academically and socially. And so I think that's really the impetus of having you here. So for a moment, Kim, your, your, your dreams, your vision, your hopes, and how, I mean, we're, we're going to, you know, we, we have 20 spots that we've committed to to be <laughs> there on the day of caring to help with a lot of the, some of the gardening needs and just some of the other things around the campus. Many of you have donated shoes, you've donated jackets, given snacks for a lot of these kids. Along with that, or just adding to that, anything else that you would say, hey, this is a way the church could partner with us as we seek to develop our kids? Well, and we, we've worked the last couple of years, and I've, we've really appreciated the partnership that we've had with the Church of Nazarene. And I think, um, really, again, in this time and age, as we're seeing the threat of mid-year cuts and not knowing, probably not till December, how that will hit each site, but we're going into... There's things that are being done to help prepare us for that in the case that happens. So really, teachers who really need to, who are being asked to focus and meet all of our students' needs with less is what it really comes down to. So um, you mentioned our SHU project, and that's something that, that um, Kyla was able to start a couple of years ago where you know some of those basic needs, and we do receive, again, money to be able to provide free and reduced breakfast and lunch. We do provide, again, with our STAR testing snacks, so if students... You know, one time a year where they're being asked to take this uh, standardized test that they get a snack afterwards, which for some kids just keeps that blood sugar going. For some, it's just that reward to get through this test that's required. So I think where we're, where we're headed is really making sure that our teachers and staff members are feeling supported, that to the best that we can, that the federal government and state funding is covering some of those basic needs. The shoes is kind of above and beyond because when we have students come in and their parents don't have the money to go get the shoes, we can actually slap a pair of shoes and when they come in and the, it's flapping off, the heel is flapping off, that we have the ability to do that. Yeah. And it's not that parents are coming saying, okay, I have three children, please get them each shoes. It's, we have it because it's available. 
And so I think a goal is, you know, we're always trying to help all of our students succeed. And so the Day of Caring is a great way for us to really work on our site and get gardens ready because the teachers don't, we have these great gardens, but over the summer they grow. <laughs> and it's hard for us to really expect our communities to be able to provide that, and I can't expect teachers. But if the garden beds are ready to go, then I have teachers that are willing to plant and, and have that become part of their curriculum. So there's little things like that throughout the year. Um, if you're if you're willing or wanting to be a volunteer, we can always use um, parents or adults coming in to help read to children, work one on one. That's probably our, one of our areas is just that making that relationship. And I know you did that last year with a student in a classroom that your child wasn't even in, and just the impact that he was looking forward to reading to you every every Tuesday or every Monday morning. Yeah. And I think that type of impact has a huge piece that, again, the teachers are giving 110% as it is this year with less than they've had in the past years just because of the funding challenges. So I think there's lots of opportunities just providing some of those basic needs, but also that one-on-one -on -one if that's something that's available. Great. Let's say thanks to Kim. Thank you. They are, uh, they are not K through 6, Kim, but... They're kind of scary, I know. You did a great job. Um, yeah, the little girl that I read to, her name was Jada. Some of you know Jada. And just a re great reward every Monday morning for about 20 minutes. And, you know, halfway through the year, you know, I would kind of get there and say, come on, Jada, let's get a book. And halfway through the year, finally, it was grabbing my hand. Come on, big guy. Let's go get a book. <laughs> and, you know, so great rewards. If, if the Lord lays it, you know, it's what, what could we do? What should we do? The real question is what will we do? And, and so how... How might we respond? Maybe you'd like to talk with Kim. You could talk with me or Kyla just about how you might be involved there uh, or in some other community Christian service opportunity. This fall, day of caring, great way to jump in. Other opportunities as well. Don't let a day, a week, a month, soon a year has gone by and we've missed opportunities to invest in the people right around us. Um, one, one other thing I want to talk about. This really the other side of the other side of the coin that I want to say of a missional, a missional church, you know, when we talk about this outward expression of Christian service, I also want to just talk to us for a moment about this inward devotion of our lives as we move forward. And really, this kind of fits under the, the living lives transformed by grace, by God's grace piece, and, and particularly under the, the aspect of spiritual disciplines. And so I want to just talk for a moment about these spiritual disciplines that I want to invite you to and give you some specific opportunities for how you might connect. Again, not as a means of earning God's favor or grace or love or his love. Just, you know, God love me more if I do this. No, he loves you un undeniably, no matter what. But ways of putting ourselves within the, the flow of his grace. And so I want to, first of all, talk to you about, um, you, talk to you about a, a commitment or a recommitment on our part to, to getting ourselves in the word of God this fall. And um, we, we cannot say enough about this, really, but I hesitate to ever talk about this because I just kind of feel like everyone kind of says, well, I've heard that a hundred times before in my life. So what are you going to say that's going to convince me to, to get more into reading my Bible or reading a Bible in the weeks to come? Well, um, I'm not going to try to convince you. I'm just going to remind you. I'm just going to tell you, encourage you, 
that for the kind of world and culture that we live in and the kind of things that we're faced with every day, that we need to be saturating ourselves with the Word of God. We read a book this summer. We had a book club called Radical, and, uh, and we read this book together, and there were eight or ten of us that, that came together, and we had quite a time together. It was quite challenging, um, and, and he said a couple of things about Bible reading in there that I wanted to share with you. He said this, if you and I are going to penetrate our culture and the cultures of the world with the gospel, we desperately need minds saturated with God's word. They've done some, actually the Bible Society has done some recent research, some surveys, and they have found out something that is not going to surprise any of us, but they have discovered through verifiable data that reading your Bible is good for you. Who knew? But it's, it's been proven now through research methodology. And this is a good, this is a good thing. But, but I want to tell you this, that, that, that we are not called or invited to read the Scripture because it's necessarily a good self-improvement tool. That's a, a healthy byproduct. But we're really called and invited to read Scripture because we need to know more about who God is. More, more about how He operates in the world. He went on to say this, if we want to know the glory of God, if we want to experience the beauty of God, and we want to be used by the hand of God, then we must live in the Word of God. So skip down to the one that says, engage the Word. It's right here. This is just a little 40-day journey that we're going to begin on September 25th. Um, for 40 days, beginning Sunday, September 25th, an invitation for all of us to engage the Word, the, the Word of God. And you can, um, we'll have little things that we can distribute to you, or you can sign up to get uh, the Scripture for that day emailed to your email address. Um, but what it is, basically, starting in Genesis, going all the way to Revelation, not reading at all in 40 days, but one or two chapters a day, highlights, hitting the high points of Scripture through the whole narrative. And in 40 days, the opportunity to hear the story of God and to engage with it in the Word. 15, 20 minutes a day, tops. Uh, probably less in some cases. But be thinking about that. We'll talk about more next couple of weeks. But September 25th, engage the Word, a way to jump in. Now, the last piece I want to talk to as a part of this spiritual disciplines is uh, the discipline of fasting. And you can go to the little one that says, when you fast. Um, at our district assembly this last uh, summer, our district superintendent talked to us about fasting. He had just completed a 40-day complete fast, only drinking water and herbal teeth. Fasting, if you're unfamiliar, just means abstaining from food. And, uh, and, and there's all sorts of fasting. Some of you have done like medical fasts, or some of you have done cleansing fasts, or some of you have done diet dieting fasts, but we're talking about a spiritual, biblical fast, a, a process of not eating so that we might more focus on who God is and what he's wanting to do in and through our lives. He challenged us as he shared about the experience in his life. He, shared, he challenged us as pastors and as churches to, to put the topic of fasting on the table for conversation. And, and sadly, I, I have to admit that in the 14 years that I've been here, rarely have we talked about fasting. I, I trust 
that, that some of you have practiced this in your own lives as a spiritual discipline, but rarely have we talked about it as a, as a community. And I was convicted by that as he shared and thought, we, we got to begin to talk about that. And so Jesus talked, you know, you, you, it's a very biblical 70 plus times talked about in Scripture, fasting, Jesus talked about. It. And when Jesus talked about it, interestingly, in Matthew 6, he, he talked about fasting within the context of prayer and giving. And, and he was giving instruction on these things, and he said, when you pray, pray like this. He didn't actually command us, I command you to pray, but he said, when you pray. Expected that you would. And then he said, when you give, give like this. You know, in this fashion, in this structure. He didn't necessarily command us, give, but when you do, as if it were expected and assumed by Jesus himself. In the same section of scripture in Matthew 6, 16, he said, when you fast. When you fast, do it in this manner, in this, in this form. Meaning that it seems that Jesus, while he may not have ever explicitly commanded it, he assumed it, expected it in the life of a believer. And so, I think that it ought to be having expression in our lives as well. I want Michelle Fitch to come just for a moment. Michelle has, was with us at District Assembly. And, um, I mean, she actually listened to the district superintendent. I don't know, again, what got into her, but she actually listened to the district superintendent and has been responding to some of the challenges that he put before us. And I want to just for you to hear from Michelle just briefly about her experience with fasting um, and just some of the, first of all, Michelle, just some of the things that kind of have, again, along with assembly, but the things that have kind of been a catalyst for you to be thinking about fasting and giving your attention to it this summer. Okay. Um, yeah, it was at district assembly that kind of uh, kick-started um, just being excited about fasting. Um, I forgot to tell you, uh, I've practiced fasting on and off as a Christian, um, having different teachings about it and done it before. And the thing that really got my attention about fasting was some years ago, um, God really put the salvation of one of my brothers on my heart. And I prayed a lot. Nothing happened. And then I think God impressed me to fast and pray. So I fasted and prayed, I think, for three days one time. And it was really hard, and, you know, I didn't think anything of it. But a week later, my brother accepted the Lord, which was a shock to me. So um, when uh, Pastor Jerry Ferguson, District Superintendent Jerry Ferguson, talked about doing a 40-day fast, you know, the leader of the district, that really caught my attention, and I got excited again. Well, that exact same week, some friends of ours moved back to Santa Barbara, and all these sort of coincidences, things lined up. I really knew God was getting my attention. Um, these friends of ours, Bob and Michelle Ryan, who used to manage San Marcos Camp, moved back to Santa Barbara uh, to be involved in a ministry in Santa Barbara called Santa Barbara House of Prayer, of which fasting is a big element. And we went to the kickoff um, session and I'm really excited about what they're doing. It's a ministry that prays and fasts for the city, for the churches in the city. It's a support for God's work, you know, not a separate thing, but a support for the mission of God in the city. And so 
here we were hearing about fasting from district assembly. And then at this session we went to, the leader of that gave a teaching that was almost word for word what Jerry Ferguson had spoke on. So I knew God was getting my attention. I got all excited. So, um, Awesome. So talk about what you did. Okay, so what I did was I fasted. Um, yeah, no, <laughs> what do you know? <laughs> I did. Um, I just tried fasting one day a week. It's like, whoa, what will happen? And then actually I committed to fasting one day a week as part of this other ministry um, where they uh, wanted to organize uh, having 24-hour prayer and fasting at all times for the city by having at least one person. I know they have more than one person now, but at least one person a day fasting and praying for the church in Santa Barbara. I thought, well, I can do that. So since it's been about a couple months, but I've uh, committed to fasting on Thursday. That's uh, uh, after dinner on Wednesday night, I begin fasting until dinner time on Thursday. So it's like 7 p.m. to 7 p.m., 24 hours. Um, I just uh, drink milk and tea. I don't eat any food. Um, that's how I fast. And, uh, nice. And, and you're still here. Tell us about just some of the... Pr- some people were like, oh, I'll take that like midnight to 6 a.m. shift on the prayer and fasting. Yeah, you know what? You <coughs> but got, you're making it. It's, you're surviving. It's like reading your Bible or giving. It's not that mysterious or hard. I mean, if you don't do it very often, and there's, again, I'm sure we'll hear some teachings about different ways to fast, different lengths of time, how, all this, whatever. The basic thing is just humbling your flesh. You know, in Romans it says, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Well, one way is to deny your flesh, to kind of have a little bit of, uh, you know, more focus on the Lord. By not eating, you have more time to pray or think about God or read the Bible. But also, um, you know, you get hungry and you just kind of go, okay, wait, all right, I'm fasting. Okay, you know, it just reminds you to pray. And it's not that hard. I mean, I, you can bet that the day you decide to fast is the day at work they go, oh, we forgot to tell you we're having a surprise party for so-and-so and everybody brought cake. Or your workmate brings pulled pork. You decided to make pulled pork. <laughs> and you, I don't know, you know, it's not a legalistic thing. I've learned to say, oh, thank you. Oh, take the cookie and, oh, I'll eat this later. Yeah. You know, tomorrow. Yeah. Or, you know. There's different things. But the main thing is honoring God and people. I never tell people at work, you brought pulled pork, I'm fasting. What are you thinking? You know, um, it's just, there's ways, <laughs> there's ways to sneak around it, you know, and to um, continue to love the people that I'm around and not eat that day. Good. Thank you, Michelle. We appreciate it.